Austrian-born sculptor Johannes Giordani is my guest here in the studio today. Now, he immigrated to Southern California when he was 15, but he's an installation artist best known for an investigation of the intersection of sculpture and painting. He's looking at other things now, too, such as art and sound, but we're going to find all that out in just, well, right now. Uh -huh. I don't always get to uh, ask this question, but I thought it would be cool. How much do you d identify with your Austrian heritage? So I, you know, th that's a, a great, great question. Um, so, you know, f I came over here when I was 15, and, and at 15 you're kind of like not one thing yet and not another thing yet. It's yeah. like all undefined. So I kind of found myself uh, for many decades, really, and, and kind of nurtured that whole thing, even like kind of being in between and not being part of, you know, not being part of the Austria thing and really not being part of the U.S. thing and being part of both. And it kind of gave yeah. me this sort of objective outlook on everything. But I, you know, I love to go back uh, and visit and, um, and I have family there still and we have a little place out in the countryside where I have a studio as well. So, so I definitely have the connection, oh, cool. connection there, but, um, but I definitely prefer my, my place of operation of, you know, just thinking and practice and all that is, is definitely um, nurtured by, by my being here. So you have a studio in Austria, yeah. in the countryside. Yes. Can you paint a picture of what that so, looks like? And so what it might look like here? What's the two, how the two yeah, differ? Yeah, so, so the two, they're very contrasting, actually. So in Austria, uh, our, our place is about five miles outside this little village southeast of Vienna, right on the Hungarian border. So it's, it's, it's completely kind of in the middle of nowhere, very gentle countryside. Uh -huh. And it's, uh, it's this uh, kind of outpost of old buildings with a... Um, you know, with the warehouse and a couple of little farmhouses on it, and so it's very quaint and idyllic. And you, when you when you arrive there, you feel like there's nothing else in the world. You know, you could all all your worries go away. So it was a great, great place during. You know, I was in New York for 22 years, and yeah, and, and that was like our recharge spot. You know, I'd go there to Austria oh, for six yeah, weeks, yeah. seven weeks in the summer, um, and and just sort of check out. And uh, and contrasting to to LA also, which is also you know, super urban, and my studio there is right in the middle of Culver City. It's, mm -hmm. it's totally bustling. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> how often do you get to get there? To Austria? Yeah, I go there at least. Uh, so usually once a year. Uh, from New York, it was more a couple times a year, but LA is is it's a it's a bit of a trek. Yeah. So we usually try to do it like one once a year. Um, and in your quick bio and introduction, I was just explaining. Uh, I read that you continuously are exploring the relationship between reality and image, mm -hmm. reality and image. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I can kind of, uh, maybe the way to think about it is, um, is uh, really my, my two, my main medium is really light and material, if you will, and light, light basically, because uh, that's how we can illuminate our reality through a sense of sight, and material is how we, op you know, how we, how we, um, occupy space and organize and orient ourselves in space so how we sort of manifest physically and uh, so this this whole question of reality and images is, is one of of uh, I guess the the physical world and the sort of the imagined world and 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 all of my work is is um, connecting uh, or creating an instance where light and material intersect and, and I'm able to create these um, these sort of ephemeral conditions that really activate your perception and your presence 
you know, in front of or in the work, because um, I do a lot of work that's also highly immersive. Uh, so it's really all about that question of, of light and material intersecting. And that's, um, that's what you've been working on for, like it says, you know, a couple of decades. Yeah, kind of this, is th this is really 30 years in the making, actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know how it takes like, you know, 10,000 hours you read or yeah. it takes like, you know, 400,000 <laughs> yes. hours or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that's even the number. <laughs> Do you like, when did you, when did you say to yourself, no, I've got there, I've got the good stuff now? You know, I think it's, I feel like it's kind of just happening, you know, really? it, it's, I'm, I mean, you know, I've had um, uh, this really interesting path that's always, you know, an art practice is, it kind of goes like a, like a frequency, you know, you have, you have highs and you have lows. And, and the main thing is that you, you just try to, you figure out, you know, how to sustain yourself. I remember like when a professor before I graduated, he was talking about, um, about, uh, you know, the key question as an artist is like, how do you sustain yourself? How do you sustain the practice? And at that point in time, yeah. I was listening, what the fuck do I, was, so Why do what, I need what, that? what does that mean, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and then you realize when you get out in the real world, it's, it's, it's really a matter of like, how do you keep the practice going? And, you, and it's a matter of finding the support, you know, and, and the support from, you know, curators, collectors, uh, enthusiasts, friends, um, and, and it's really building this language over a long, you know, really over a long period of time that creates, um, and in my instance, then sort of creates this presence. And um, so, you know, it's it's yeah, it's a it's a work in progress. It, it continues to be a work in progress. And the, but the projects are always interesting, and they're getting more interesting. And some of them are very ambitious and elaborate, and take years to develop. And uh -huh. I've had the good fortune to be affiliated with uh, you, you know with people that support. The support the vision and mission, and that's really the, that's what keeps it going. How many different projects do you think you're kind of working on simultaneously? Maybe big ones, and, and then the second, so course, like some small ones. Yeah, too. so so that's a great great question because I kind of have found that uh, for me the um, my my practice basically is my studio practice, which is you know creating the regular the the, the sculptures and. Uh, kind of the regular work that mm -hmm. that um, would be typically going to um, you know galleries or museums and um, and that studio work is is great because uh, I can iterate very quickly and and a lot of the work is is research based and materials research based and um, and uh, then at the same time the sort of the exhibition and, and cycle that you know that can go up and down you know has has you know i'll have a year where i'll do five solo exhibitions and then just the physical exam you know then i can't do that you know i have to uh -huh. sort of reboot and then at the same time i'll have these projects that are um you know for example these art and architecture collaborations that i've been fortunate to get into uh -huh. where I've worked, for example, with Tom Kundig out of Seattle um, and I just finished a project in Venice, the one that we talked about yesterday, the battery, um, with uh, EYRC Architects. Um, and I have a, a third one uh, that I'm starting now in Ojai, actually. And, um, and those projects are generally take years to develop. So it's nice to balance this, um, you know, these uh, sort of the rapid fire work, if you will, mm -hmm. of the, the studio, and then um, and then these these projects that go over years, and it kind of balances things out. Also energetically, it's important.
Uh, yeah, yeah. To, to see something completed. Yeah. Sometimes if you just work on like long-term I know, projects, yes. you're like, <laughs> yeah. <gonna> know, yeah. <laughs> like something in the, in the middle, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's the first art architecture project that I did is with Tom, actually. And that's a big uh, sort of immersive space called the Infinite Room in this project out in Washington State. <clears throat> it's this house that's, you know, that's... Um, uh, kind of harness where Tom harnessed you know all these granite boulders to build the western you know the western wall. So it's basically this compression of the landscape in the architecture. So you actually it doesn't even read like a house really when you approach it. And then I did this big piece uh, uh, that just harnesses natural light. And and from the first conversation of that of that um, you know that project to the completion was eight eight years actually. Mm. So that's yeah. long. Yeah. That's long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, before, well, before we started taping, we were just uh, chatting about you speak in front of groups, at, you lecture at universities, as you just mentioned, you were yesterday at the Battery with a, in front of 200 people, and you mentioned that you have gotten better over the years to explaining your craft. Right. Could you explain your craft to listeners who are um, also maybe typing in your website and like checking out what you're doing too, but do you want to articulate that? Um, do you want yeah, explaining my work or explaining yeah. how I explain my work? Um, <laughs> what, um, explain, maybe with That's an explanation kind of, meta, right? of your work, it would, yeah, yeah, it would be an explanation. No. Yeah, ex no, so I think, I think um, so I, I, you know, my work is basically, like I said, about sort of intersecting light and material. So most of my work is, um, is, is really to be thought of as sculpture or installation work. And, um, and when I talk about this intersection of light and material, basically it's... Um, it's, uh, I use materials both in, in uh, what I call light reactive organic sculpture, which is a, a series of works that I've done for you know, 25 years that use beeswax and pigment, actually you know, beeswax that's infused with pigment and, uh, and found wood. So those are very minimal works that um, where, where I'm interested in, you know, minimal meaning you know, monochromatic, um, found wood, which basically is the, sort of the detritus of the urban environment, and I sort of built these constructions that um, sort of juxtapose the the wood to the wax, um, and um, and that found wood kind of brings this instant history to the work, and at the mm -hmm. same time, then when you're looking at the the wa you know the wax planes or the forms of the wax that. Um, uh, of those, I really kind of think of the as color as the material. So I build, I build color physically in a way, and mm. and um, and then I try to find ways to compress, you know, to create a dialogue between these materials, uh, sort of philosophically, this 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 compression of opposites. So that found wood, for example, kind of brings this instant history to the work, mm -hmm. and uh, and then your eye gazes into that into that form of color which uh, which allows light to pass into that material and I, I like to install those works in natural light because actually those works kind of morph um, you know depending on the light situation so so this is this ephemeral kind of light situation that happens and really activates your perception so it's compressing this you know this instant history mm -hmm. this history really this you know, time passed with with the presence, that present moment. So that's kind of how I would describe my my wax works. But then I also work a lot with with um, uh, over the last ten years, especially I've developed um, um, you know work that are highly immersive pieces where 
you actually go into those sculptures and uh, they use technology in all sorts of ways where they capture data and convert light to sound, making light audible, for example. Wow. So that's, uh, well, that's what I was saying. Um, <laughs> more recently, you know, I read that you're curious about the intersection of technology and human perception. Yes. Big time. And that's, what you're, that's kind of what you've been doing about the last 10 years. Yes, that's been driving, um, driving um, a lot of my sort of interest and energy and research because uh, so, so 10, when was it, 11 years ago, I think it was, uh, I went to, I got invited by Tom Kundig and Rick Joy and a whole group of architects to, um, to go to this expedition uh, to Mali in West Africa. And we had a one month uh, excursion to visit the Dogon tribe, which is, just to give you a frame of reference, that's, that's like two weeks beyond Timbuktu. Just, <laughs> just and uh, so it was a journey. It was a right. trek. And, you know, that sounds fun. Yeah, totally, totally crazy, like mind warping. Um, oh, wow. It, you know, like you get on, these, on this boat up there and travel up the Niger on these like little, like for a week, you know, you camp on the, on the sandbanks of the Niger River and then, and then you take like, you know, this, this old, like four by fours from the seventies, like you drive for another week. <laughs> it oh, was, it was man. wild. And, um, cool. it, it was amazing. And, and it's, um, what, what was really striking was, uh, you know, it's very different to be off the grid, you know, in nature and, uh, versus getting off the grid and immersing yourself in culture. And this was really uh-huh. like a full, a full cultural immersion in these, in these, in, you know, into these local, um, like tribes with this amazing earthen architecture and so but the tribes houses and community they were built of these you know crazy structures crazy structures just made of the earth you know and um i mean phenomenal architecture that uh and and that that's sort of that spawned the whole idea for me or catalyzed this this question of, of of connecting art and architecture when we're traveling through uh, Mali, because these these buildings were you kind of predate the separation of art and architecture that has happened, and mm-hmm. and because these these buildings are so sculptural and so material, and then are also infused with so much meaning through the sort of the belief systems of these local tribes. So mm-hmm. they they really read like you know to the eye like you know art and architecture. It's just a, this this mashup. It's amazing. And, and to get back to your question about technology, um, so when I came back, you know, everybody in this trip was like, you know, like, what was your Mali moment, you know, like, sort uh-huh. of, the, and I, I kind of went on this trip with a very open mind saying, I'm not going to have a Mali moment. That sounds so cliche. You know, you go and, you know, do this, this trek. Yeah. And, and then I was in, in, in actually, so my Mali moment was in final approach on the way back landing in Newark, New Jersey, and I'm looking out the window, and I've done that a hundred times, and always like saying, God, what a, you know, this post-industrial soup there, this like 19th century, the rapid infrastructure, yeah, what a yeah. dump. And I'm looking, <laughs> and I'm going, holy smokes, you know, and I look, a saucer with fresh eyes, the, the sort of the framework of, of um, you know, the infrastructure that we in a knowledge-based society build and continue to build and uh and then very quickly realized that uh, i need i as an artist kind of needed to address in my work i wanted to address and expand my practice into the question of you know of technology because that's this ubiquitous infrastructure that is omnipresent you know it's omnipresent and it's invading um in- invading our lives in ways that 
that uh, we need to be really cognizant of. And uh, so, so that's then when I, I really decided that I wanted to find a new connection between light and material, which is basically you know, the, the media that I work with, and, and um, was exploring then connections between light and sound. Because okay. sound, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to, mean to interrupt you. Yeah. How? What does it sound like? What does light sound like? I yeah, mean... so, so, so here's the thing. So sound can be thought of as a physical mechanical wave. So I think of it as material, right? So I thought, mm -hmm. okay, so the new connection between light and sound I'm going to make light audible through an algorithm, right? Uh -huh. So what I've done is basically um, take, you know, so you can measure light with frequencies and we use a spectrometer and you get a, a, a frequency information. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and so what I did was I, I created an algorithm that basically maps the visible spectrum onto the audible spectrum. So mm -hmm. take red as a low frequency of mm -hmm. light, right? And, and mathematically basically slow that frequency down to, um, to the audible spectrum, so the low frequencies that we can hear. So red would be a low tone. And then mm -hmm. as you move through the spectrum, through the um, you know, reds, yellows, or uh, green, blue, into the violets, you get into the high spectrum that would create a higher pitch. Wow. So I call that chromosonic refrequencing or, or spectrosonic refrequencing. And um, so, you know, so I was, I was a little bit nervous about this whole, this whole idea. And I, when I first started writing, writing, I started writing about it to kind of conceptualize it. And, and then I had a good friend at Yale who is a, a sort of a leading theoretical mathematician, and I dis described this whole process of making light audible through through this process um, mm -hmm. as a quasi scientific method. And and then he said, "Okay, this is all good." I had him edit it, and, and he said, like, "But drop the quasi scientific quasi, you know, it's scientific method actually. Tr drop the quasi." Uh huh. Um, so so now um, I have. Um, you know, a lot of work that engages in this in this question of, um, you know, it's, it's really sort of a basic form of reality augmentation of expanding our senses through technology. And, um, and so I create these sculptures or, or um, environments and installations where I have these sensors that can pick up this light information uh, and convert mm -hmm. it to sound in real time. And, mm -hmm. and so basically what's actually happening in these pieces is that, that um, not only are, are you, really, well, really, you as the, the viewer are becoming the, a participant in the work because the light that's being picked up when you're in a, in a sculpture is actually also picking up your light, right? Sure. So it's then also converting that to sound, and then that sound... What does that sound? It's so like it's, I can sing. It sounds uh, is, like is it? so. It's a. It's interesting. So so, um, I use a lot of LED in my to drive the light into these into these works. And LEDs have very pure. It's a, so if you have a blue LED or a red LED, right? It's a very pure um, light. It has a very 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 narrow bandwidth, mm -hmm. which creates um, when you kind of spread that apart a little bit, it creates this really pure harmonic sound, actually. Um, and then white light, though, that we know to be all frequencies, right, mm -hmm. is completely abstract. It's just a noise, basically. So 
depending mm -hmm. on on the light it moves these these pieces kind of move between between sounding very harmonic and to sounding completely abstract almost like thunder so, or something yeah. so is it easy enough to get um, a file of those sounds like, yeah could I get, absolutely I get... yes yeah okay yeah. so maybe this would be really interesting because this is just an audio podcast yes. Um, what I'll try to do after this is get a couple of files. Yeah. So I can sh and then splice right about here. Right. Okay. That sounds good. And, and then we'll put in uh, some examples. And the examples will be the the one that's um, the the the, let's see, the the one that's all scattered. What did you call it? Yeah, that? all scattered. I can get, actually I have it. And I, the and the harmonic one. So I have a little app here actually that converts oh. light to sound called Chromasonic. Oh my gosh! You can you can get it on the App Store actually. Oh my god! <laughs> um, so I can give you the abstract sound here. So yeah. This tape basically. Let me see if I can get this to. Oh yeah. Okay. So we can see whether we can hear this here like that. Is this but taking the light from this room? Yeah, so. Cool. So here. what it's actually doing, it's using each pixel as a tone generator and it's taking the color information of each pixel, right? And um, you take so like a we, white. Yeah, so. Wow. And then you can get a yellow, I think. Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. We can play with the taping and maybe we'll yeah um, spice some of my explanation out and then like just use that because that kind of puts more uh, data into this conversation. Yeah, that it's all, is it's all about data. Really <laughs> cool, man. Oh my gosh. So, um, are are you through with that subject or or what's next? Um, what's next? No, I'm not through at all with it. I feel like I'm just starting actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, um, I'm working on, on a, a very ambitious, uh, very ambitious light and sound project, um, that I'm trying to, uh, to bring into the world with actually two collaborators from, uh, uh, Ed Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, uh, the two musicians. And uh, they are, it's, it's actually the, one of the founding members um, of the band, uh, the percussionist, and then uh, Orfeo McCord, and then Joel Shearer, who's a guitarist, who's, um, who's, who's been a real force in the music industry. He's, you know, he played, he's played with everyone from Alanis Morissette to Dido to Michael Bublé. And, I mean, it's just amazing. Two really gifted musicians. And... So I have a question. Yes. Can you reverse engineer this where you make music and it turns into color? Correct. So we're working, so working on, on this project where we do both. So, uh -huh. and this project is basically, it's kind of global in nature. It's gonna, so basically uh, I'm creating this, uh, this sculptural platform, this immersive pieces that you can go into and they're for 250 people at a time actually. So mm -hmm. they're super large scale. And um, so the way we ma we're imagining this is actually that there would be a minimum of seven of these across the globe. So the, mission, the, the missionary idea was one for each continent, so to speak. And then uh -huh. to kind of create, in a way, the largest networked sculpture in the world that would be this immersive space where you can have these experiences of light to sound conversions during the day. And then mm -hmm. at nighttime, there would be live performances with live instrumentation. Where, and, and we're actually developing... Uh, analog instruments from from material to to play the light of that space so it's it's really that whole sculpture is going to be like a light and sound instrument 
so uh, we have a lot of momentum and energy wow. behind the project, and yeah. so it's early days, but we feel that we're going to be able to, it's, it's such an exciting um, platform because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the work that I do, I've learned uh, in these immersive uh, sculptures, they, you know, I, I really try to create a situation where people can, that puts people in a, into like just a, the, an awareness of a very present moment. So, so I think it's almost like a cognitive mm. hack where you can make uh -huh. time stop. Mm -hmm. And um, and in this day and age where everything that we're living in, you know, that everything is going so fast, and we're you know we're we're living our life through these you know devices, the phones, through these you know this really constrained screens really that um you know that that um you know they really separate us more than they i think they dis they you know than they, they, they really bring us together so the idea of these large immersive pieces is also to create this community among people in in this environment where you become sort of are able to become fully present by the nature of this light to sound conversion how it affects your body and your mind i can see how you have so much material to work on. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um, um, your work has been exhibited in the museums and galleries worldwide, including the Ludwig, um, Ludwig Museum in Germany, the Harvard Art Museum, Austrian Cultural Forum um, in New York. Do you take away any feedback uh, from these installations? Like, Do you listen to the viewers' experiences and, and, uh, and opinions? And what are some of their typical responses? So that's uh, great. So I, had, I just had a, a big show in London at uh, Levy Gorvey uh, Gallery. And um, so there's almost like a survey show. They had these three spaces with, uh, where they were able to have one room dedicated to my, this long-standing series of, of uh, you know, organic sculpture with the beeswax and pigment. Mm -hmm. And then um, the, the main space had Metaspace in it, which is that highly immersive light to sound, the sculpture that you walk into. Yeah, yeah. And it was meta one, two, three. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this was the latest iteration three, of that yeah. work. Yeah. And then my new sculpture, the, which, uh, which are resin pieces that also have interactive components with an app um, mm -hmm. with light to sound conversion. And uh, so, so it was really interesting. The, the most feedback that I get is through, um, you know, usually the sculptures that are these immersive, like Metaspace, you know, and, uh, and you know, there's this thing that starts to happen on, on social media where things are posting and all of that. But but I've, I've literally had, I think, in, in that sculpture, I mean, I think altogether thousands of people have come through that work at one point or another, because um, that was also up at the TED conference at one point and mm -hmm. in, in Vancouver. So, uh, so, and there's a lot of excitement uh, also from the, the neuroscience community around it um, mm -hmm. because of what happens to you physically and, and, and emotionally in that, in that piece. And the, you know, so I haven't had any instance really where, you know, where somebody came out of that and said, you know, oh God, that was, that was horrible. Even, even people who have, have, uh, you know, maybe have like claustrophobia and they're kind of, because it is a really uh -huh. constrained space, but when, once you're in it, it's, it actually feels infinite, you know, endless. Yeah. So uh, I think the most interesting feedback I've gotten twice or three times now from three separate individuals uh, was that, those were people that had, at one point in their life, had a near-death experience. And for, apparently for a lot of people that have near-death experiences, it's a really, you know, 
uh, transformational moment that oftentimes is a very positive moment, actually. And when they're in the sculpture? <clears throat> at a near-death experience, and they said when they were in the sculpture, they got back to that experience. Oh. And... Um, oh, the near-death experience is, was positive. Was positive, yes. And then when they got... And they just took them back. And yeah. to, to describe so to you... So that was, like, very powerful. I, you know, I didn't know how to, like... Like think about that at first because it sounds like oh my god, but but it, they came out of that as like wow, that was the most amazing experience. So to yeah. listeners, <laughs> I mean, this is a a, a large room, a round room. Mm -hmm. Yes, going is taller. It's egg shaped. Correct, egg shaped. Interior is very 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 finished, and there are several different versions of colors that you use, and then there would be you know sort of three or or more. I don't know how many you, you typically do, but. Almost like chaise lounges that are inside. Yeah, we call them sort of zero gravity pillows. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but that's what people are walking into. Yes, they're walking into the space. Sort of, it's an ellipsoid. Yeah. So it's it has no corner geometry. It's about um, this particular piece is about you know 15 feet by, uh, you know 15 feet by 10 feet um, in uh, you know, 15 feet long, 10 feet wide, and and maybe nine or 10 feet high. So it's it's not huge the space. Yeah. Um, but uh, because of the, and there's a constantly evolving light projection. So the light changes in there all the time. It oh. goes through all the full spectrum. And, oh. and the viewers are actually, so the sculpture has a sensor, right? So the sculpture's eye actually um, recognizes that you're coming into the space and you start to affect the light sequence. So it, it loops, it starts over there. Uh, yeah, it, it loops, but you, you actually start to affect the the. It's it's it recognizes your presence, so there's this reciprocity between yeah. the, the the environment of the sculpture and you. Mm -hmm. So you are affecting the light sequence, which is converting to sound. Uh, you know, l making light audible in that space, which then in turn might affect what you're doing in that space. So so I create this virtual feedback loop between between the participant and the and the sculpture that you're in. And which color do people seem to respond? That Better is all, uh, all, no, no, all over the spectrum, actually. Like, everybody <laughs> <laughs> Puns like, are welcome. Yes. <laughs> no, literally. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, people have, you know, through their own personal experience, different associations with different colors. And uh, some people find, uh, you know, because this is also a, not just the color experience. It's a color sound experience, oh, right? God. So... Yeah. So some people are in that red, you know, and the red has this deep hum. It's almost like this heartbeat, this rhythm, this, this rumble. Mm -hmm. And some people find that really oh grounding, my. and some people think, okay, that's not maybe my favorite thing. But um, it would move through, go on to Right, exactly. Then it moves on into yellow and then a blue and, um, you know, literally into any any of millions of colors that, huh. that are in yeah, the so spectrum. It is literally tied to color and sound yes. at the same time. So. Yeah. And which one moves you more? Which color? So I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of partial to, like I mentioned, just mentioned the red because it's such a, it's such a visceral experience. Um, mm -hmm. It really, I think also because of the low frequencies, you actually feel that with your body because when you're in that space and, and you're mm -hmm. lying down or sitting down, uh, it's actually also feeling the sound vibration with your, with your body. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of partial to these very visceral uh, experiences. And, and then I think the blues have, um, you know, in the, in the blue, uh, blue and into the violet, uh, it, well, I don't know, it gets, 
you know, when, you, when you're thinking about this, uh, the chakras and, and the it, it really, you know, it gets more into your spirit or your head uh, uh-huh. when you're in the violet somehow. I don't know. How long do those uh, periods last and how often do the ch- colors change? So it's, it's constantly shifting and depending on, the, it, depending on the energy of the people inside, meaning, you know, there, there are motion sensors in the space as well. Mm-hmm. So with more motion, uh, as the col- sculpture picks up more motion, um, the color frequencies, it, it sort of excites the sculpture and things yeah, yeah. move faster. And then yeah, yeah, as yeah. people slow down, it starts to slow down oh, as well. Cool. So it's responsive. That that's way. the yeah. right way to do it. Like if people are really phonetic, the, 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 you know, the, yeah. <laughs> everything else speeds up. Yeah. If, it would, if it went the opposite way, it would be like, everyone be quiet. I don't know. If they, yeah. Respond differently. That'd be uh, turn it around one day. Yeah, we should. Yeah, <laughs> hack it. Um, yeah. Uh, well, so you mentioned you've never had anybody come in there and come out and say, "Well, that was horrible." But otherwise, as an artist, you know, if you've ever even received any criticism, um, you know, how do you take that? Uh, so I'm open to you know, I, I you you build up a thick skin, and I think you want to also you know, I think criticism is important, and um, oftentimes I find that you know I'm. <clears throat> quite confident in my in my um, uh, development of my thinking. So oftentimes, um, you know, I had this, I had an interesting experience actually at a at a um, at a museum exhibition. I won't mention any names now or anything. There was a, pa- a panel discussion, and uh, I started talking about. And this was before I was doing this light to sound work actually. And mm-hmm. I would started talking about. So this was tw- twelve years ago or something like that. Um, I started talking about this, uh, this use of converting light to sound and making light audible through these artificial mechanisms and all of that stuff and, and thinking about um, you know, uh, augmented, augmented sensory uh, um, mechanisms. And, and there was this, this well-known hist- art historian and critic um, who then started attacking my way of thinking and said, that's a, uh, in, in, um, in, he said in German, a Gedankenfehler, a thought process error. He called my thinking. This is a live discussion. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He's in the audience and peppering yes, you with exactly. Criticism. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I, I kind of welcome that because I knew <laughs> yeah, at yeah. that moment <laughs> that I'm actually moving into a new way of thinking, and uh, and that that's I knew when that when he made that comment, I knew like, I was on the right you, track. You had him, yeah, or had it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, and here we are in a world now where where um, you know our culture, you know, with this this sensory infrastructure that we're living in. With you know, with our phones that are are giving us feedback, you know, we're we're now you know in a in a time and place where where we're in a way our natural perception is is merging with that um, of technology, and that's um, that's both troubling and exciting. Mm. Um, as an interior designer, I think that I have uh, this the way of thinking that's maybe different than others because uh, I'm concerned about how you know people feel in the space and how really the lifestyle um, gets expressed maybe it's for me unique because I've done several of my own houses Mm -hmm. so um, I feel like I have a little special something I don't know it's just what I feel like so how do you what kind of life experiences do you think you have that bring you to be more the the authority in all of this work and and you know what might you have developed that's different than anybody else um, I, I think, you know, sort of an art practice, as an artist, um, you really build your life 
kind of from scratch, you kind of make everything up as you go along, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really creating something from nothing. And it's, it's creating, like, over a long period of time, in my instance, you know, some artists, you know, they might be quicker, but you, you develop sort of a thesis. Uh-huh. And, and that's a, you know, a combination of, you know, life experiences, of, uh, of study, and then of research, and, and, then, and then of, you know, creating something that, that connects to, to, you know, a public at large that, you know, hopefully finds um, an engagement with that work that, that uh, somehow maybe just is able to create a little bit of a shift in the mm. way they see things. So mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, as an artist's path is, is generally one, and in my, you know, my instance, also one of, you know, of a lot of time spent in solitude to develop, you know, these ideas and to develop these sensitivities. And it's, it's, it's basically like, uh, um, you know, developing a, an acuity and a sensitivity to, you know, to such an extent, you know, developing a color and a light and material relationship that's so potent. Mm. Um, and to get it to that potency, you know, that's sort of the gift that I think I, I have. Uh-huh. And once it has that potency, you know, that is then the medium that's able to connect and, and trigger, trigger kind of a compassionate or interested reaction in in the viewer participant of the work so i don't know if that answers your question really but now i'm going to go back and um and listen to all of this actually because it's so innovative and experiential and i guess the the answer to all that question is there's nobody like you there's nobody that's had this path that started from scratch and there isn't anybody to you know um, anybody who seems to be doing your work or or is there um i think you know there are um you know, there's always influences and, and starting points. Uh, I think, you know, as artists, we all, you know, seek and strive to develop our own unique vision. But there's, you know, there are, um, I think there are a lot of artists at work today that, um, I mean, I think of uh, like Olafur Eliasson and Ai Weiwei and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with very unique platforms. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, develop uh, a lot of work now that, um, you know, is, is taking some of, the, um, some of the philosophy and work that was developed by, by the light and space artists of Southern California. You know, you think about Terrell and, and Bob Irwin and Doug Wheeler and, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and, and that whole generation of artists that really opened up art to the the um the idea that we are forming you know to make you aware that we are forming our own reality through our senses so to to by by basically making making you sense yourself seeing right and Mm -hmm. so so that's a that's a little bit of a starting point for you know but i should really say you know we now have a complete in a way, kind of a complete break from that because of technology and because uh-huh. of the, the sensory infrastructure that's, that's all around us. That, uh, kind of, so the new now really is that we're not the only ones sensing anymore. You know, we have, mm. we have uh, the phone, uh. right? I mean, we have, sensory, sen- we have the sensory infrastructure that's omni, omnipresent. And so the new reality is that one that we have our natural perception meshing with artificial perception in these feedback loops. And so my work really uh, 
takes this new paradigm that, uh, that it's this interface of us sensing and being sensed. So that whole subject-object relationship in the work is also completely obfuscated because you're not now you know, looking at the work, but you're actually part of the work and becoming part of the work because you're being converted to sound in real time, actually, right? So, and listening to yourself as that. So, so there's a sort of a big paradigm shift, and, and, um, and I think that's the, the, you know, really unique nature of my path is exploring that, that interface um, between, between natural and artificial perception and, and the merging of that, and I kind of call that... Uh, sort of a sensory singularity. It's, it's uh -huh. uh, you know, we talk about singularity yeah, yeah. when artificial intelligence, when we kind of come to parody. And, and uh, so that last show that I did, I, I, the title of it was actually Sensing Singularity, or uh, yeah, Sensing Singularity. And um, it's, it's, that's, that's really the new, re the new now. Yeah. Um, I don't get to ask many people this on the podcast, but technological or physical, what's mm -hmm. your favorite tool in your craft? Um, I'm um, good. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I um, so I'm materials based. I love you know I love to work with material, and it's it all evolves out of material. Uh -huh. And uh, at the same time, you know, I use that material in a way that it's. It, it invites light, and for me, um, the technology is is uh, something that's something that's um, present in a way that I feel I need to address. It's not my favorite thing, but I couldn't work without it. And um, I'm, you know, I'm really intrigued by the the opportunities that technology opens up also in terms of our own perception. So, you know, when we talk about, about augmented sensing, right, what I'm talking about is, you know, through these platforms in my work, for example, you can now hear light, right? So technology mm -hmm. is actually expanding your organic sensory mechanism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a, you know, that's an opening up and, and evolution almost, if you will. And, and it's almost, you know, I almost see technology as a natural evolution through ourselves, right? It's 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 part of evolution, actually. Mm -hmm. So we can. I, so I actually don't really see a separation between nature and technology, in as much as it. You know, we have to see ourselves as natural beings. We have this, you know, way of thinking of humans as separate from nature, but we're we're no, part yeah. of nature, and we're creating technology. When you're you know, it's it's also part of nature. It, it's a, a weird thing. When you're in a boat going down the Niger, you're like, I am the earth. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. I am human or I am earth. Um, so uh, uh, the last question I'll ask uh, is when I try to ask everybody, and that's what's your favorite room in your house and why? Oh, that is a, that is a good question. How much time do I have? Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite room in my house. Um, in my current house, I guess it's um, it's the you know the living room. I say so. I occupy like lofty, you know, like spaces that are very loft-like that mm -hmm. are where everything sort of blends together. And as you know, I've always lived 
uh, my studio is now outside, but for many years, I, you know, my studio was in, in the house, you know, mm -hmm. in the loft. So it's almost like, you know, it's an uh, artist's life is almost like, like a farmer, you know, you're living on the farm, you're working the farm mm -hmm. and your studio is like, you know, right off the kitchen. And it, it's all, the work is always, there's always work, right? So, yeah. so, so this, the, when you, when you say which room, it's like, it's all kind of blended together. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so the, the room is really the, you know, sort of symbolically speaking, the living room is also where the, you know, where the work, where the work happens, or sort of maybe now in this instance, since my studio is not in, in my living, living room, which is basically a big open loft. Um, but it, it, that room allows for a lot of thinking to be able to occur. Uh -huh. um, maybe absent of the, you know, the physical workspace, which, um, which gives it this, this sort of open place to just um, kind of take everything down a notch. Uh, and when I think, take it down a notch, I mean like, like slow down the brain, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm sort of very obsessive in my, my thinking about my work. I mean, mm -hmm. that's really what I, you know, the work kind of never stops because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all in the head. So in, in, that, in that lofty living room, you know, there's a fireplace also. And when I turn that fire on, I can kind of just gaze yeah. Gaze into the gaze into the into the flames and and, uh, work and slowing more. down and working <laughs> slow yes, more. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, this is totally fascinating, and um, I, I didn't even get through all my my pretty <laughs> rad questions. There's so much more of your exhibition work I was curious about, but maybe you'll come back. I'd love to, in a couple absolutely. Because yeah. I know you'll still have the same, some of the same projects still happening. Absolutely, but, yes, definitely, yes. And could I get, like, when you get to one of these 250-person um, per continent structures yes. and you have some sort of inaugural event, yes. may I perhaps get on the bottom, bottom, bottom list, the list if nobody else shows up. Oh, we'll put you on the top. Me. Absolutely. You'll, you'll be f the first to know. Oh, right on. Well, I and really appreciate you coming for the inaugural taping and recording here in the, what I'll call today the Marble Lounge, but probably not tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.